All the states outlawed abortion before Roe v. Wade in 1973 took away their rights. A woman's choice ends when she becomes a pregnant mother. This is Bob Boyd. And Jerry Boyd. This is Issues in Education. For 185 years after the Constitution was adopted, individual states were responsible for regulating abortion. And then suddenly, without precedent, in 1973, the Supreme Court invented a right to abortion that took away the choice from all 50 states. It was an egregious violation of the Constitution that doesn't even mention abortion, but it does mention the right to life. Al Parker, president of the Justice Foundation, filed a legal brief to reverse Roe v. Wade. I am the president of the Justice Foundation, and we represent clients in landmark cases. And one of those cases is we represent Melinda Tebow asking the Supreme Court to reverse its abortion cases, Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton, and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Those are the three cases that support legal abortion in America today. So did you speak before the Supreme Court? We filed what is called an amicus curiae brief. A brief is making your arguments in writing. So it is technically correct that I have argued before the Supreme Court because we provide written arguments to the court. This case that we filed a brief in is called Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health. It's also known as the Mississippi Ban on Late-Term Abortions. And it is the first case in 30 years that reversed Roe v. Wade, the case that brought legalized abortion on demand to America and struck down every state law banning abortion. All the bans on abortion were deemed unconstitutional, and the choice for states was eliminated by one very bad U.S. Supreme Court case, Roe v. Wade. For 50 years, pro-lifers prayed and worked to get rid of Roe v. Wade and give states the choice. It was a blight on this nation for 62 million babies killed on the altar of a woman's choice. What about the baby's choice? And what about the choice for the states? How important was prayer in this landmark case, Dobbs versus Jackson, that bans abortion after 15 weeks and reverses Roe? This was kind of birthed in prayer. Melinda is the pro-life prayer initiatives director, and they spent a lot of time, they and others, praying for an end of abortion. And one day in prayer, Melinda kind of saw a picture in her mind of rolling out a scroll before the Supreme Court, asking them to reverse Roe v. Wade. It was kind of like if you've seen the movie Amazing Grace, Wilberforce rolled out a petition asking for the abolition of slavery before the English Parliament. Well, she saw the picture. She called me and said, Al, has anybody ever filed a petition at the Supreme Court to reverse Roe v. Wade? And I practiced in this area for 20 years, and I said, no, I don't think so. I've never heard of it, and I think I would have. And she said, well, could it be done? And I paused a minute, and I said, well, there's no reason, no rule against it. So, yes, I think it could be done. But it had never been done before in American history. Part of the reason that I was prepared to do something new and unusual is 20 years ago, the Lord called me into the pro-life arena by asking me to represent Norma and Sandra, who were the Roe of Roe v. Wade and the Doe of Doe v. Bolton, in their legal efforts to reverse their own cases. After the Roe v. Wade case in 1973, Norma McCorvey filed suit to reverse Roe. 
you represented Norma McCorvey, the woman who was used to bring the landmark Roe v. Wade case to the Supreme Court that legalized abortion. Norma wanted to undo the damage of Roe. How profound is that? Yes, the Lord was going to end the covenant with death and that he would do amazing, extraordinary, unusual things to do it. We prayed into the reasons what should be on the petition. And let me say why I thought it could be done. We as citizens have a right to petition the government for redress of grievances. That's in the First Amendment. Well, in the area of this abortion law, it wasn't the states that created what we call in the petition a crime against humanity, abortion. It was not Congress. It was the United States Supreme Court. So we can't ask the legislatures to fix it. They're trying to pass pro-life laws, but they all get struck down by the courts. We can't ask Congress to fix it, because if they passed a pro-life law, the Supreme Court say, we don't agree. Right. Any law Congress passed to eliminate abortion would be overturned by the Supreme Court. You said a crime against humanity, because that's what abortion really is, slaughtering innocent human life without a trial, without consideration for being a human being. It just treated babies as garbage to be discarded at the whim of an unstable pregnant mother who became a mother and wanted to kill her child. Abortion is not simply undoing a pregnancy. It's actually killing a baby. It is murdering a human being. So it is the slaughter of babies that had to be stopped by the Supreme Court. Yes, we knew it had to be done to the Supreme Court, even though it was unusual. We had to do it there. And I always kind of thought that we could attach it to an amicus curiae brief. By the way, I'm a former professor of law before I started doing all this. And I was somewhat familiar with the procedure and friend of the courts get to file briefs, and they have to explain to the court, why are you here? What can you add as a friend of the court? That's Latin, amicus curiae, friend of the court. Why are you here before the court? How can you help the court make a just decision? Well, what are the reasons why Roe v. Wade should be reversed? Would you like me to explain those reasons? Yes, please. First, abortion is a crime against humanity. It's not just wrong, it's seriously wrong, or the word that lawyers would use is like egregiously wrong. Very, very serious. Abortion is not a fundamental right. No, it's a crime against humanity. How do you define a crime against humanity? What examples can you give? When the government withdraws legal protection from a class of human beings, that's a crime against humanity. Well, when there's some other times governments have said to a class of human beings, you don't have these rights. Some horrible examples in history come up. But we mentioned two in our petition that the Supreme Court of the United States did. The first is their Dred Scott decision before the Civil War, which many people helped contribute to the cause of the Civil War, promoting Civil War America, because they said African Americans are an inferior race. They will always be slaves in America. There's no compromise. They can be slaves everywhere, even in the free states. Today, everybody realizes that was a terrible decision. African Americans are fully human, made in the image of God, just like everybody else, and not an inferior race that have no rights. And didn't they also say that they were inferior, they weren't human? That's exactly right. That's in the written opinion of the Supreme Court. 
So the Supreme Court doesn't get it always right, though that was the law of the land until the Civil War and the shedding of innocent blood. Many people died. Yeah, the Dred Scott U.S. Supreme Court decision came before the Civil War, and that may have been a cause to bring about this Civil War. That was because the government, as you said, withdrew legal protection from black Americans. And thus, we had a bloody Civil War. Abortion also has been a great cause for this unrelenting divide of Americans in this cultural civil war. But the Civil War brought about the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, especially the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment is critical because that says no person shall be deprived of life without due process of law, and everyone's entitled to equal protection. So the right to life is in the Constitution, The word abortion is not in the Constitution at all. That's the key. There's no word abortion in the Constitution, but the right to life is in the Constitution. And the 14th Amendment says no person shall be deprived of life. How is that equal protection part of your argument for overturning Roe? Equal protection is also part of our argument because we say Roe and Doe and Casey are just as bad as the segregation decisions of the Supreme Court We fought a bloody civil war. We said African-Americans have equal rights now. And yet, I'm not trying to be political, but it was the Democrats in the South joining up with the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. They passed Jim Crow laws, and they said, we're not going to be equal. We'll give you separate but equal. So the Constitution said equal, but the Supreme Court said separate but equal is good enough. And so they denied legal protection. In the Jim Crow laws, the Supreme Court said separate but equal is good enough, which made segregation legal. In your brief, you showed how the Democrats and the KKK denied equal protection for blacks, which was comparable to Roe denying equal protection for babies. Yes. Now, that case was called Plessy, and this is important because we compare it to Plessy. Our first argument is it's a crime against humanity, and it's as bad as Plessy versus Ferguson. And Justice Alito asked the lawyer for the Biden administration, wasn't Plessy versus Ferguson, the segregation decision, isn't Plessy, wasn't it wrong, egregiously wrong, the day it was decided? And she had to say, yes, Your Honor, it was. So then he said, Well, then, if someone had come eight years later and there was no other change, but it was wrong, should we have reversed it then? And she hemmed and hawed and said, well, Your Honor, this court has never reversed one of its decisions unless there's a major change in circumstances. So she knew it was wrong, but she wouldn't let it go. So in order to change a major U.S. Supreme Court decision, there had to be a major change in society a major change in circumstances from the 1973 Roe decision. And Al, you presented this safe haven law that eliminates the reason for abortion being having an unwanted child. Now, no woman can say that she has no choice but to mother an unwanted child because the safe haven law give her that choice. Yes, the safe haven law. It's a major change in circumstances. A major change in circumstances is a reason to do it. Since Roe v. Wade, all 50 states now have a safe haven law. And under the safe haven law, a woman can simply safely surrender her child at a hospital or a fire station or other designated safe place within a designated period of time, 3, 30, 60, or 90 days, depending on the state, 
But every state has this law. Drop your baby off, no questions asked, no legal procedure. You don't have to travel to another state. Simply safely relinquish your child, and you are free from 18 years of the obligation of parenting that child. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And if you lived in a state that bans abortion, no woman has to take care and parent a child that she doesn't feel she can parent or that she doesn't want to parent in every state. So that's a major change in circumstances. That didn't even start until 1999, and it wasn't until 2016 that all 50 states have that law. The safe haven law was a major reason for overturning Roe. Justice Barrett asked that the safe haven law eliminate any burden of parenting or unwanted child. So no woman is forced to raise a child she does not want. So she does have an option not to kill it. Justice Barrett asked the question twice in the oral argument, doesn't the safe haven law eliminate the burden of parenting the unwanted child? So women can be free of the burden of parenting without killing the child and injuring themselves. I had heard only 8% of abortions occur after 15 weeks. The majority of abortions are before 15 weeks, which is almost four months old. And so that's something to tackle because those are out of convenience. Yes, you're right on the statistics. 8 to 10% is usually what it is, are done in the second and third trimester because 80 to 90% of abortions are performed in the first trimester. Yes. Right. Texas had passed the law that you can't get an abortion after 15 weeks, but so many abortions occur before 15 weeks. Do you think there will ever come a time where we could get it to where it's three weeks or four weeks? or the woman's required to have an ultrasound before she gets an abortion to change her mind? I believe that that is definitely coming. In fact, there are 12 to 15 states that will automatically ban abortion within 30 days. They have already passed laws that say when Roe v. Wade is reversed, abortions will be outlawed in our state. Hallelujah. Except to save the life of the mother. Everything I know about how abortion affects women, I represent 2,249 women hurt by abortion in this Mississippi case. They gave the court their testimonies about feeling like a murderer, feeling grief and sorrow beyond anything they could imagine. They talk about decades of nightmares and sobbing and crying anniversary reactions on when that baby's due date comes around, substance abuse, inability to hold a job. They felt unworthy, and so they would allow men to abuse them, and sometimes multiple abortions because they felt so worthless, and even suicidal thoughts. And some of the women have died as a result of abortion. The court admitted in 1992 in Casey that women suffer, quote, severe psychological consequences as a result of abortion. Well, I can just attest to that. I had an abortion when I was 20 and didn't think about it much until I got saved. I gave my life to Christ at 24, and then I realized how horrible it was, and I knew God forgave me. But I have to tell you, I went years, probably 49 years, and it wasn't until just a few years ago that... God took me to the depth. It was horrible of that abortion. And I have to say what a lot of women do is we reject 
that baby right away. So we never love a small child in our womb. We never love them. And then once they're gone, after we've killed them, we don't grieve. But that grief is still there. And that is so deep. And when God took me back to that place, and I I just imagine Jesus loved me through it, but I could hardly face what I had done. It was so horrible now looking back as a born again Christian. And look how long I'd been forgiven, but it went that deep. And so it is a deep, deep wound. And he healed me of it, but I hadn't forgiven myself. But it took that long to really forgive myself. And I've heard 62% of women that have had abortions don't forgive themselves. You're right that only forgiveness can come through Jesus Christ, but you have to accept it. And I'm so glad you shared that story, because on our website, thejusticefoundation.org, there are four different abortion recovery programs. People don't have to wait as long as you did to get that recovery and healing from abortion. You can be forgiven and set free. That's the name of one of the major national curriculums Mm -hmm. for getting abortion recovery. On our website at thejusticefoundation.org, in 2007, the Supreme Court upheld the federal ban on partial birth abortion after they had struck down 38 state laws saying you can't ban partial birth abortion. Well, what happened in 2007? We provided the testimonies of 180 women hurt by abortion in that case. And we know it impacted the court because they wrote about it. And they said that some women come to regret aborting the infant life they once created and sustained. And that was the first time they ever called it an infant life instead of fetus or potential life. And then the next sentence said, severe depression and loss of esteem can follow of the pain and the devastation that abortion caused to them. Well, Alan Parker, I think your brief was very important in this turning around Roe v. Wade because there were just, as I understand it, two briefs? No, this was really pretty amazing. I'm on the pro-life side. There were 80 briefs filed on our side and 40 briefs on the pro-abortion side. It was the first time in history the pro-life side has outnumbered them at the Supreme Court. That's excellent. And Justice Alito and Justice Barrett mentioned the arguments in these briefs, particularly in oral arguments. So we know that it impacted them. Before 1973, there were no prior precedents. All the states in the nation had laws against abortion. And yet, here this Roe v. Wade really should never have been decided in the first place. Well, you're right. The vast majority of the states, over 48, I believe, definitely over 45 states, still made abortion a crime in their states because it is killing a human being. That new science shows that life begins at conception. One of our clients is Hannah S., the first formerly frozen human embryo to ever file a brief at the United States Supreme Court. And what do I mean by formerly frozen? Hannah was conceived outside the womb in vitro fertilization. She was born in a Petri dish and then frozen for two and a half years before she was placed in her adoptive mother's womb and given birth. She was called a test tube baby. It's really in a Petri dish. But Hannah is 22 years old now, frozen for two and a half years, and that proves that life begins at conception because she was viable outside the mother's womb. 
She wasn't part of the mother's body. She was in a frozen storage tank for two and a half years. She was alive. In what frozen state? I mean, was that just at conception or what? Yes, at conception. In vitro fertilization, the sperm and the egg are brought together in a Petri dish. When the sperm and the egg of a human mother and a human father It produces a human baby. We don't produce chickens or amphibians. At about the three-cell stage, they're frozen, and then they're kept in frozen until some woman wants to put them in their womb. In fact, Melinda Tebow, who we started out talking about, the Lord asked her, would you lend me your womb? And she was praying one day, well, what does that mean, Lord? She didn't have no idea. She prayed through it and felt the Lord was asking her to adopt one of these frozen embryos. Because if nobody adopts them, they'll be discarded and they die. So she adopted four of them. Her first son, who was also born through this in vitro fertilization, he's genetically the son of another man and woman, but he's been adopted into Melinda's home, Melinda and Denny, her husband. He's living with them now. His name is Gideon Wilberforce Thibault. And we have a beautiful picture of him in the case, too. Just three cells, that's just the beginning. That's conception, and that's frozen and put in a woman's womb. And here you have Hannah and other children that are now in their 20s. If that doesn't show people that it's not just a quote-unquote fetus, that that is a live human being, I don't know what would. Yeah, that's significant because in 1973, the court, under Harry Blackman, they said that they didn't know when life began. It's a religious issue. Well, it's obvious life begins at conception. And so this really demonstrates that when you have, you know, it's no blob of tissue when this woman, Hannah H., is a living, breathing human being. So it's pretty obvious if it's not a baby, what is it? If it's not alive, what is it? It's obvious life begins at conception. I think that's the turning point in your case. Yes. On Norma McCorvey, she was more or less a victim. She didn't even need an abortion. Is that true, that this was all predicated on a lie? Well, let me give you the brief testimony, and then let me tell your audience that they can read Norma's story and Sandra Kano's. That's the Roe of Roe v. Wade and the Doe of Doe v. Bolton, the two cases that brought abortion to America. Both women have incredible stories. Their sworn testimony is on the front page of the Justice Foundation website at the bottom. Norma actually did want an abortion, but she never had the abortion because it takes three years to get to the Supreme Court. So she never had an abortion. Then she began to work in abortion clinics, and she saw the horrible conditions and the way women were treated. Her conscience began to bother her, and she was invited to a church. She heard John 3.16, and she gave her life to the Lord. She was baptized in the swimming pool and worked to the rest of her life to try to reverse Roe v. Wade. Sandra's case was very different. She was actually a attempted forced abortion. Once you make abortion legal, one of the ways it hurts women is it allows other people to force women to have an abortion to solve their problem. Here's the three big examples. Number one, adult parents forcing a minor girl to have an abortion because they don't want her to be pregnant. Number two is an adult man forcing a woman to abort his child because he doesn't want to be a father. And the third is human trafficking and prostitution. Alan, give your website. Thejusticefoundation.org. Thank you for all you guys do. God God bless bless you. you. Our guest has been Al Parker, president of the Justice Foundation. He filed a brief with the U.S. Supreme Court to reverse 50 years of legalized abortion and return the choice to the state legislatures for regulating abortion.
I thought Al Parker's argument demonstrating that abortion is murder was really good when he presented this picture of an adult woman in her 20s who had been an in vitro fertilized egg of just three cells in a Petri dish that had been frozen for years before being implanted inside the womb of a mother to grow and develop and be born. Just three cells in development demonstrated that human life begins not at birth, not in the first, second, or third trimester, but life begins at the moment of conception. It is a human being to be protected by the law. The Supreme Court is allowing states to decide if they want to continue to legalize murder or recognize and protect human life at all stages of development. We have laws protecting eagles' eggs, but allow unborn babies to be slaughtered at the whim of an unstable woman. Pro-abort say a woman has the right to do what she wants with her body, but does her body consist of four eyes and two hearts? There are two people involved in abortion, and only one comes out alive in an abortion. Substitute the word murder for the word abortion, and you get this nonsense. Murder should be a personal decision for each woman to decide without government interference. That's crazy. If you would like a CD copy of today's program, please ask for number 1784, The End of Roe v. Wade, Part 1. That's number 1784, The End of Roe v. Wade, Part 1. The CD also includes next week's program, Part 2. You can order a CD copy of this program from our website. Our website is issuesineducation.org. That's issues in education.org. Give us a call at 928-776-0000. That's 928-776-0000. From John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. For Issues in Education, this has been Bob and Jerry Boyd.